Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, brought to you by the UTS Grand Final. Scintillating Sviontek secures the year-end number one ranking. Masterful Djokovic delivers his seventh Paris Masters crown. And the final eight is set for the ATP Finals. Kim, Chris, today is the 7th of November and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. Well, I say the week, it is a week plus one day because of the chaotic weather and the chaotic situation overall in Cancun. We had the we had the final yesterday, Igor Sviontek, Jesse Pagula in our evening and uh, yeah, we've had an extra day, an extra day of the tennis world to take in Paris. Djokovic was your champion there. The ATP final eight is set. Sasha Zverev, we're going to be talking about him as well. Wimbledon moving a step closer with their expansion. So yeah, lots and lots to talk about as usual. But oddly, guys, the thing that has been the top of our agenda this week has bizarrely been my commute home in order to get to recording. Yeah, I thought, Joel, when you said we were, you know, one day later than usual, I thought you were going to say it's because your commute was so horrendous. We had to delay it. It's always horrendous. Leaves on the line. Leaves on the line. Well, everyone um, who may not know, Joel tends to get the bus to and from his workplace, which (laughs) is about three hours, three hours long. Look, Chris, I know everyone like uses their bike. Why not bike? In Copenhagen. I'm just some exercise I am not confident on the cycle superhighway of London. What about an electric bike? That could be quite get you there quite quickly. Anyway, no. we've we've told Joel to use the train, and it now he fear is in me. It didn't. It looked quite busy though, didn't it? <laughs> in time was it standing for the podcast. Room only, Joel. Yeah. Well, that's a good thing. I am back. Yes, I did get the train. I there was it was standing room only. Um, but yeah, we are recording a little bit later than than usual. But I feel like that is par given the the chaos and the madness that we've seen <laughs> over the last week week plus. In, uh, yeah. in in Mexico. Yeah, it's been chaotic, but the end of the tournament was sort of quite quick and straightforward in the end. But we'll get to that in a bit, won't we? Um, we've also got lots of other things going on. You know, this coming week, we've got the Billie Jean King Cup finals. That will never not be a mouthful to say that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what, what's before we get into all the action from last week and look ahead to this week, what's been your kind of highlights from, from the last week on tour? You know, trains and buses and bikes aside, Joel, where, where have you been um, looking for your kind of fun and and playful moments from the tennis tour this week? Well, it, it has actually been in Seville at the BJK Cup finals. And it was to do with Barbora Krachikova and Katerina Sinyakova, um, who weren't there to attend their team's press conference at the, the start of the event because they were in Cancun. And uh, the Czech team took it very kind of lightheartedly and they created some giant... Um, Life-size cutouts, cardboard cutouts of Krachikova and Sinyakova brought them to the press room, sat them down in their chairs. And I don't know, I think like to me, it's one of the lasting images of the season. And uh, I just thought it was it's quite funny. But at the same time, there's a serious point to it as well. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a mockery of the schedule. And, you know, I mean, it would be quite funny if they brought out the cardboard cutouts onto the court or, you know, I mean, you could maybe utilise this. So if you didn't want to attend an opening ceremony, you could just send a, your cardboard cutout well, to seen, stand there. We've seen like the giant sheet. heads. We've seen those giant heads, haven't we? In the uh, in like Davis Cup and Billie Jean King Cup qualifiers in in the crowds. Um so yeah, it has it there, there does there definitely is a theme of this going on in tennis and it has made me think 
if if one of us can't attend a tour catch up, do we need to get a, a life size cardboard cutout um, of one of us to put on the show? I'm not one sure. That can I mean, talk. I mean, even <laughs> even Joel, you might end up losing part of the courts, or you might do better <laughs> if you were a cardboard cutout. I'll give like cutout. the first answer, and it's wrong, and like the cardboard cutout of Kim would win. <laughs> would get it right exactly. Exactly. I think definitely Chris's cardboard cutout would beat either of us. <laughs> yeah, Joel. The, the sheer kind of intimidation factor. I would just put my glasses on for it and everything. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I once um, took a photo of uh, Rafa Nadal's cardboard cutout, which once attended the Wimbledon queue. Uh, I've got a photo of me posing with it. And that brings us nicely on because Rafa's been in the news this week as well. Um, He has a postage stamp uh, with his face on now in Spain, which is very exciting. So um, I like to call it Rafa's Penny Post or something like that. And I mean... I'm going to try and get my hands on some Rafa stamps when I when we go to Malaga, perhaps. Go into the Correos and ask for some seos. Ulterior motive um, of uh, <laughs> Davis Cup finals. Get, get stamps with Rafa Rafa's Nadal on. Face on. Uh, it's got some good social content there, I feel. Not that I could use them in the UK, but, you know, they'll look we pretty, won't they? We can send postcards to fans with um, yes. Nadal stamps on. <laughs> oh, Letters that would be so Malaga. nice. That would be sweet. Uh, but he also got involved in some football. Uh, he was the honorary kickoff uh, person at the Copa del Rey match between um, between Manacor and Las Palmas. So his local football team uh, playing, well, you know, just down the road from Rafa. Uh, they did lose 3-0, but he was able to kick the match off, which was, I thought was quite fun. We know how, how good Rafa is at football and how much he loves it as well. So, um, yeah, nice to see Rafa in the news and also practising his serve today, I believe, as well. So exciting times ahead. Um, Chris, what about yourself? Any Any fun moments from the tour? That you'd well, like to so share. much has happened in Cancun that there are so has many. So, oh, I mean, I mean, barely anything has been without seamless over there. But um, <laughs> I have seen so many fantastic memes of like umbrellas blowing away, absolute chaos, people under towels, montage videos. But I think it has to go to the MVP of all social media this year. We've brought her up many times, but JPEG, Jessica Pagula, who was pretty much dismantled in that final, um, went straight to social media with a picture of a drink. Uh, it looks like a, a cocktail of sorts, or maybe um, not a Heineken can. Spritz. It's not a Heineken this time. <laughs> um, and after that dismantling at the hands of Ego, she said she ended the year through the Ego Bakery factory. Um, and jokes aside, 2023, in the books, celebrated that she'd finished the year, um, but she had actually taken a trip to the, the factory with a six love, six one result. And the well, the Eager Baker factory has produced 54 breadsticks and bagels this year. Wow. That's 23 bagels and 31 breadsticks. So it seemed only fitting that she ended with one as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just a bit like sad that JPEG didn't put a big picture of, of like, actual bagels up she could have gone and got a breadstick couldn't she breadsticks with the cocktail would have been i'm i'm just sad that we didn't we didn't get the dj playing cotton eye joe in the uh in the match against uh shviontek in the final because that had possibility written all over it that would have been the only thing that had gone right by going wrong (laughs) for the wta finals I remember that song from school discos. It's quite a good laugh, isn't it? Um, (laughs) Anyway, that brings us on to the WTA finals because for those listeners who may not know what we're referring to, the final was a complete, uh, well, a complete bakery uh, showcase from... Iga Svontek. She won 6-1-6 love over JPEG, um, which is the most lopsided final in the whole history of this tournament. Um, It's the fewest games dropped by a winner in the final ever. And also the fewest games dropped in the entirety of the week uh, for the the winner of this title. So, you know, Iga is continuing to break records at every tournament it, you know, she plays, it seems. Um, Chris, very serious question. Is this all because of the red dress? I think that red dress had main ca- character energy. And I think that she knew when you make that decision. And the update that we did find out is that um, it was a case that there was a dress code, but she already bought the dress. So she said, you know what? I'm going to wear it anyway. And I think that attitude, you know, of who cares, really kind of set her up perfectly for this tournament because she said she wasn't really focused on the number one ranking. Um 
And it was a case that, you know, that seemed to really help her because she wasn't too fixated on it. She took a bit of a laid back attitude. You know, everyone's wearing white. Who cares? I've already got a dress. I'm going to wear it. So it feels like maybe um, Iga was a little bit more um, laid back uh, in Cancun this time because um, she seemed to just rebound from any situation she was in. And even what could have been an embarrassing moment of turning up in a red dress when everyone else is in, in white, she said didn't bother her at all. So... Um, seems like she's kind of brushing off the rest of the field as well as any of the potential problems on or off the court. Yeah, I feel having that, like not only relaxed kind of mindset, but also just that confidence to not worry about what other people are doing or thinking of you. That has just held her in, in great stead. She's now got back the world number one ranking. She's won this title very comfortably, only dropping 20 games all week. And I think that's where Shvontek really excels when she's not feeling that pressure and she's just able to kind of play her game and just kind of assert herself out there and I mean be honest though were you really expecting this level of domination from her going into this event as you said Kim 20 games dropped against all top 10 opponents as good as Iga Sviantec is and we've seen over the last you know couple of seasons I still wasn't really expecting that result from her going into Cancun I mean, I was expecting the win, I have to say. I I did think that she would be um, kind of having to uh, raise her game and make a point here because there has been a few question marks. Um, I honestly think it just showed that she is the player who can adapt best to very challenging conditions. I think her footwork really sets her up for that. Um, And she was able to make all the adjustments and put more cover on the ball play with more margin. I think a lot of people became unstuck in the conditions. So if we'd have known the conditions going into it, I do think that kind of eager would have been more of a consideration um, because it just shows that on a, on a windy day on an outdoor um, hard court or just court, you know, she's, she's the player to beat because she does put so much work, doesn't she on the, on the ball. And I saw that, you know, you saw that in the final, you know, she plays with such an extreme grip and um, it was almost, I think, from Jesse Pagula's point of view, because the final, the, the conditions were perfect, really. They were probably some of the best conditions of the week. And Jesse Pagula was, a, I think, also a player who handled the conditions, you know, the best in her group, got all the way through to the final. But when you put it on a level playing field with conditions out of the picture, Shiontek really was just a class apart. I mean, it was such a disappointing final from a neutral perspective for the fans, you know, 59 minutes on court and, you know, JPEG, it was one all and then Shrontek just ran away, you know, 11 games on the trot. And and actually, you know, JPEG going into this, she'd won two of uh, her matches against Eager this this year. Um, The United Cup, which perhaps doesn't, you know, count as much. Um, it's kind of, you know, a bit of a warm-up event at the start of the year. But also she beat her in, in Montreal. She hadn't dropped a set en route to the final. You know, she beat Rebecca, Coco Goff, Sabalenka. She's in great form. So it was quite unexpected, despite, you know, Eager having a fantastic week, that it was going to be so, so one-sided. Um, however, I do think Pagula will still be happy with her performance, you know, as a whole in the week, just discounting, you know, the final because she had a great week. She's had a great year on tour. And, you know, despite the surprising nature of the final, I think, you know, all in all, if you look at kind of the stats from her season, she, she'll she be fairly pleased, won't she? Yeah, I mean, some of them have been unbelievable. Some stats, I mean, this week, she, she couldn't really believe that when she's won the first set, she's gone 50 and 0. Um, so, you know, if she loses that first set, then she should be worried. But she should take a lot of confidence when she does get a head start because then things are going to go pretty well for her. And if you look at the way she's played this week, she played very well. I think she she really did kind of out-hit Sabalenka at times and it raised the question. Um, you know, people don't think that she is a big hitter, that she is this person who can do damage from the baseline in the same way as, you know, for example, a Rabakina or a Sabalenka. And so I think kind of the question I'd ask you guys is, is this the season, um, despite kind of the, the hammering she received in the final, where uh, Pagula cemented her spot at the top and as a contender? I mean, she hasn't been a contender at slams yet, but has she made a mark here? I'm, I'm still, I'm still think the jury's out, to be honest. I'm, I'm still like very consistent player. She's going to pick up tournaments throughout the year. But I just think there are players who have a better level than her. And I think there are players who have a better mindset and a more competitive mindset when it comes to these comes to these finals. And she almost kind of accepted, you know, defeat 
Whereas I think other players might be a little bit like less happy and go away and that, you know, drive them and motivate them. But I feel like with Pagula, she's happy to just kind of go with the flow and she almost needs a little bit more of an edge, I think, to come back and be like, right, I'm here. I'm ready. I want to take the next step because I'd certainly think there are, you know, she's had a good season, but I certainly think there are higher peaks that she can climb um, in her game. And um, I think we're still yet to see that, particularly at the Grand Slam stage where I think she should be reaching a, she should be expecting to reach a Grand Slam final next year. Yeah, she's been really consistent. Like she hasn't dropped out of the top five all year, but that's a bit, you know, it's kind of David Ferrer vibes, um, you know, very consistent, but just never quite getting to the the ultimate, you know, top ranking. And I, I think she just needs to channel, yeah, that, that extra kind of, I don't know, ferocity, aggression, that edge. Um, she needs to wear the red dress. She She needs to be the one that's, standing out that's what we're looking for when you know compare her to Sviontek who at the events that she's played this year you know the, the Grand Slams the, the the Masters 1000 events she has absolutely excelled you know win 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 semi-final final you know I mean it's that's what we're looking for that's what you want that's where you want to be you and need. I don't you need to take JPEG needs to take some learning so how can she get from where she is now to you know where Sviontek is ultimately um, not everyone can get there though obviously it's uh, an elite pinnacle uh, of the top of, of the sport that can do that and you know it makes us appreciate those performances like Sviontek this week all, all the more for that um, an interesting trivia for you both actually I said that you know Igor Sviontek that was the most lopsided final fewest games it dropped, dropped by a final you know by a winner in the final can either of you give me the two finals where uh, only two games were dropped from this tournament's history? That's any, a Chris, any guesses? That's definitely a Chris question, <laughs> not, not a Joel question. I can give that you the years, tricky. 1983 and 2003. So maybe it happens every 20 years. Well, we I, have an, an annihilation. I know who won the title in 2003. but Who was that? Uh, was it Kim Kleisters? It was. Do you know who she beat? No. No. Uh, so it was actually Amelie Moresmo, apparently, in the 2003 final. 6-2-6 love, so a bit of a drumming. And 1983, very classic rivalry from the uh, the tour in those days. It was a navratilova Evert final. You just don't associate those two with that score, do you? That's I know. Navratilova was 6-2-6 love in that one. So, yeah, very interesting. But Sviontek putting her name up in those kind of... Um, yeah, categories really with a storming performance to win the WTA finals. Um, and just on another note, we mentioned that the finals had a lot of issues. Um, the court, you know, the players were not happy with it and the organisation and how kind of last minute it was with the court not being ready. They also had a lot of bad weather to attend to. Um, Steve Simon, who's the WTA chief, he kind of came up with this letter to the players, uh, sort of acknowledging that the players were not happy uh, with the location and how it's been set up. Um, and kind of apologising and saying, you know, the WTA are there to help. Uh, but what did you make of that letter? Do you think it was a bit of a cop out, or do you think, you know, he was he was actually really addressing the kind of issues that are genuinely, you know, that we've genuinely faced in this tournament? Joel, I mean, you're kind of nodding your head. I, I think. I mean, I think you know the. It's seeing on on social media from the Amazon Prime team. It sounded like he was requested to come on, you know, to ask, you know, to answer a few questions on broadcast um, a few times I think two or three times and he refused each time and I think if you're the if you're meant to be like the leader of of the WTA and this is your your big event regardless of of what has happened I think you you need to be able to to face up to the music and he wasn't prepared to do that and I almost kind of see this letter as him trying to hide behind something and um, I was very disappointed I think that he didn't come out and and you know attempt to tackle what has been a, a chaotic event at times, you know, head on and address the issue because I think you look at these times, you look for strong leadership. And I just don't think that Steve Simon is, he's just not giving off that impression. I don't think he's been giving that impression off for the whole season, really. It's just another in a catalogue of errors from the WTA tour. Yeah. And the thing that really does it for me is that this isn't just a one off event this is a problem for. I mean, you look at how how far the ATP is ahead of them in terms of some of the way that they have set up um, the whole tour to be more beneficial to players, whether that's kind of protected, um, protecting the more 
well, the less highly ranked players by giving them funds that are able to support them, um, having better and more flexible calendars where you're able to skip some mandatory tournaments. It's even down to the basics of things like that that are really being um, left behind. And I think when you look at Cancun, the lineup, how excited we were for it, this is the biggest event that the WTA host. They didn't pick a venue. They didn't get the venue ready. They didn't address the player problems that were associated with it. And for me, I mean... It's almost impossible to see Steve Steinman as someone who, if you've lost the support of the players and if 21 of the most highly ranked players have said this, you've been openly criticised by people like Navratilova, legends of the game who are there, as well as the players and the world number one on the court. It's just not a good look. And it's such a, a failing of the talent that the WTA has right now. And you have to think, if this isn't going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back, then what will be? Because... You, to solve this problem, you give us a venue now for next year, you make it a race to somewhere and you start to put things into practice. But it just seems like there's just words that don't really seem to materialise um, or make the players feel listened to. Do you think he will be out of a job soon? I mean, do you think there needs to be a change in leadership for yes. this to yeah, not be, occur yeah. again? I mean, I think yeah. Navratilova raised a really good point that I think, first of all, it needs to be a woman. And I also think it needs to be it needs to be a player or a person who has got experience of playing and understands players' needs, players' schedules, has been in that environment before. Because it feels like with someone like Steve Simon, we've just got a you know a businessman, arguably not not great at that either, and he's making these decisions that are not favourable to one of his main audiences, the the players. So I think they should be looking at a female, possibly ex pro someone who can do the business side but also has the relations I think already with you know the, the the tennis players that exist on the tour because at the moment I think there's just this big divide this big gap between Steve Simon and the players and it, it just doesn't feel like it's going to be mended and I think it's past the point of of no return and I think they should cut their losses and be brutally honest and, and look for someone new. I mean, let's hope it's not Amelie Moresma. I always a bit nervous when players take up tournament director mm. jobs because the nature of being a player and the nature of being a tournament director or head of the WTA, I mean, that is a very different piece. Well, time will tell, but, you know, there definitely needs to be changed. And I think the shenanigans out in Cancun have really demonstrated that the sort of essential need. And we'll have to see what happens perhaps in the off season uh, before the start of 2024. Um, let's have a look, though. At the ATP, um, let's cast our minds back to Paris, where on Sunday afternoon we saw Novak Djokovic win a seventh Paris Masters title, uh, his 40th Masters title overall, uh, by beating Grigor Dimitrov 6 4, 6 3 uh, at the final in Paris Bercy. Very sort of straightforward, uh, kind of comfortable scoreline. He didn't have the most straightforward week, you know, he did have to fight his way through quite a few matches, but was hardly challenged really in the final um just getting one break you know in each set to kind of get the the job done um Chris coming to you first what did you make of Novak Djokovic in Paris uh he hasn't lost a match since that Wimbledon final um he's just had a kind of a, quite a serene time of it really uh without any defeats since that period what did what did you think of his form in, in Paris winning the title I was very uh, surprised looking at that Talon Grooksport result at the time in the live scores after he dropped that first set. I thought that the run was coming to an end after he looked sort of so so good and so comfortable against Echeverry where you felt like he's back to business. It, it, it really was a case of kind of light and day in terms of the tennis that he was playing. And it's almost like he just wants to make it a bit harder for himself because the game is just so easy for him. And he definitely proved the point in the final. He had obviously some tough results, but I mean, physically, he looked a cut above. Um, and some of the shots that we've seen and some of the movement on the court, um, he really was kind of playing uh, tennis of the finest level. And you have to say, I mean... It's another statement victory and another kind of result that shows that whatever the score is, um, you can never count him out. Yeah, I mean, he had, you know, three set battles with Rublev and Runa and Griegsport throughout the week. But by the time he got into the final, you know, he's well into his groove. And I mean, there's almost... I feel sometimes not much to say about Djokovic because we know how good he is. You know, he's arguably the GOAT. Um, he is, you know, when he puts 
a performance together. He's extremely hard to beat. And, you know, he loves Master Series titles. He's, he's 140 of, of the things now. He's almost closing in on 100 titles overall. I mean, it's just really a question of, I think, this week, who who was the player that kind of could have beaten him? Who came closest? You know, Holger Runa, I guess, perhaps, who's beaten him here, I think, last year. Um, so, you know, knew he could do it. But... But Joel, do you, I mean, did you see anyone really challenging Djokovic? I mean, did you see Dimitrov having any chance come the final? Not particularly in the, in the final. I think, um, you know, he just peppered his his single-handed backhand. It's almost like you used the same strategy, I feel, that you would use against uh, a Roger Federer. And I think with, with Dimitrov's backhand, the more and more you play to it, the more likely it's going to break down. I think it was a little bit disappointing because, you know, we've seen better tennis from from Grigor Dimitrov, you know, this week. He's had some fantastic wins against Medvedev and Sissipas in that, that semi-final, um, really clutch in that, in that final set tie-break. But um, Djokovic was just a, a level above. And um, I think there were chances for maybe kind of Rublev or, or even Runa to, 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 you know, to... I'd actually say maybe more Rublev uh, to pull out the victory. I mean, he was playing some fantastic tennis like two and a half sets, he was like going toe to toe with Djokovic, and it really came down to the the very end where he had a poor, I think he had a poor service game, and and as a result, you know Djokovic was able to come through. But um, I would actually say maybe even Griegspor was, if there was going to be a time that Djokovic was going to be going out early, it would have been Griegspor because Chris, I know you said it, you know his run could have stopped there, but it was actually the runs that was the problem for Novak Djokovic because he was having a few stomach issues. And uh, in interview, he said, "Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it out loud, but um, yeah, he was not, he was not having his way with his stomach, and that Goodness. was maybe he had some gluten. Could be that, you know, yeah, he does live so a gluten-free life. That was kind of one of the reasons he he struggled to come through against Grugsborg. But um, yeah, it's it's imperious form from him, and uh, you know, he's just got such a great mentality that it's so impressive. I think after that Wimbledon result, the fact that we were talking about." Carlos Alcaraz, the new era. Have we moved on from Novak Djokovic? Emphatically, no. You look at their win-loss records, 18-0. and zero, Alcaraz, 15-6 and six, um, since Wimbledon. It just shows that, that Djokovic, he had, the, you know, he had a tough defeat. He put out of his mind. He got back on the horse and it's been impressive. And it's hard to argue that he's not the clear favourite going into the tour finals in Turin. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Alcaraz lost to Roman Safulin in straight sets yeah. in, in his first match. I don't match, think he's so... 100% fit. I'm, I'm, no. I think, you know, this is a time, time of the season when it's a long season. Djokovic has been there, done that before, countless times before. Carlos Alcaraz, I think, is still kind of going through the motions, particularly at this stage. And um, yeah, Safulin straight sets over the number two seed. That is not an, a result that you want going into Turin where there's a lot of pressure and expectation on he's you. He's not the best on indoor hard, in fairness to him. And I think probably, you know, he did prize himself out of a comeback at a 500 at a lower level the previous week. And I do think he should have tried to get some match practice heading into Paris um, because especially it's not his, his favourite surface. He's much better outdoors. So I can understand, you know, that this is like not the best result for him. But at the same time, um, it was pretty inspired. If anyone watched that match, I think they will see that that was a a very good performance. But again, from someone like Carlos Alcaraz, who was playing that sort of tennis like the Wimbledon final, I think um, maybe he will be a player that kind of ebbs and flows a bit more than he does kind of peak constantly like Djokovic. You know, I think we have seen this, that he did obviously get injured at the end of last season. Then he comes back and he wins another slam. So it feels like he does have great bounce back ability. Um, if, if that is a phrase um, <laughs> and that he will obviously kind of get himself back into back into the mix. Um, one thing I was going to say, though, from the final, and I'd love to get your take on this, Kim, was that Dimitrov was in tears after that result. And I was thinking mm. he should be thrilled. I mean, he's made it to a Masters final. He's got a big paycheck coming, some fantastic ranking points. He's back in the top 15. And surely he can't have expected to beat Djokovic. I know. So it felt yeah. like that was kind of a, a, a funny one because maybe JPEG brushed it off a little bit too easily. But I think Dimitrov took it a bit too too much to heart, that defeat. I mean, I thought it was a fantastic week. And um, I mean, Carlos Alcaraz wasn't crying after that match, but Dimitrov was after the final. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe it was a bit delusional if he thought he could win it. But then, you know, at the same time, you want players to go on to court believing they can do it. Otherwise, you've got no chance. So I feel a bit harsh saying that. But I think, you know, he alluded to stuff that have been going on on and off the court through the past few months. So, you know, we don't know the full story behind it, I suppose. And um, I mean, it is a fantastic finish to his season. And I mean, coming up second best in a Masters final to Djokovic, is you know nothing to be ashamed of so cry before um, the final that you have to face Djokovic is what I say <laughs> yeah but I mean, it was only his second Masters final which I guess we forget because you know Dimitrov has been around ages now but just has never been able to get to where many people thought he he could um you know wrong wrong era I think really uh is one of the reasons but yeah I, I you know it's lovely to see him get to that stage and have those those good wins throughout the week as well and I mean one player that we were looking at who potentially was you know going to play very well here was was Yannick Sinner as well but he had to actually withdraw from the tournament because he had such a late finish um, up against Mackenzie McDonald and then was scheduled to play Alex de Menor the very same day um, and it was just you know a real um, bad scheduling from, from the Paris organisers they seem to have a habit of cramming as many matches as they possibly can in on the main court with quite a late start time it's almost time, like a meaning- dare or a bet it's like Let's see how yeah. many matches we can get in. Um, Let's I mean, see how late day. we can finish. Yes. It's almost, it's a bit like, I always find whenever you're at Gardenau and you're, you're boarding the Eurostar, it's like it's the first time a train has gone because it's always chaos. And I feel like maybe they just forget. They do a factory reset that last night they finished at something like 2 37 a.m. I think the match ended and they're like Mm. you know what let's just go again you know let's just see if we can get through another six matches because his match started at 12 20 in the morning um it ended yeah that was uh, 2 37 a.m. he got to bed at 5 a.m. he withdrew from the tournament at 2 p.m. and he was scheduled to play at 4 30 p.m. and you just think I mean obscene obscene we've seen this before we saw it happen to Rebecca early in the season and it's just not in anyone's interest because Sinner is a big crowd draw. He's very popular. And I think a lot of people wanted to see him play in Paris and play well there. So, I mean, they've got to change the scheduling. And I'm not sure how many times on this podcast we can talk about scheduling because... Not enough. They never learn. They never <laughs> learn, do they? And I just think it's such a such a problem because... Um, and I think people like the, the PTPA and the different kind of bodies that look after players or are looking to represent player interests. I mean, this was something where... It was a a challenge a player should never have faced. It's got to be stopped. Start the matches earlier, get another court that you can use, or just, you know, the bloke that finished so late the night before, do not schedule him in the afternoon. Schedule him at least for the next night match. Um, Appreciate they've got lots of matches to schedule, but it is a bit of a joke. And we saw other players, you know, speaking out about that. you know, how Sinner was affected, but also how they were also affected themselves. Like Rublev was also speaking about it. And it's just not not clever for the players, is it? I mean, it's funny how tennis at an elite level sport, I feel like tennis is the only sport that asks like the top ranked players to play at non-optimum times past, you know, past midnight. Um, And it does really, really, it just needs to be sorted because it's just not not good for anyone. Um, And you talk about the fans as well. I mean, you know, this was, you know, there was a day session and a night session and, you know, the the fans who are paying for these night session tickets, you know, they might have work the next day that, you know, they might not be able to stay uh, past midnight till till 3am. And, you know, are they getting the most value for their their ticket? Probably not because they're only getting you know, one set, you know, one, one match and, and I'll have to go home. So I think there's just, there's just needs from the player perspective, from the fan perspective, to just experience just stinks, I think, and it needs to get sharper. And I think it's not just this tournament, there are other examples as well, but it's just, it's just very frustrating, isn't it? I think it also puts into context how, I guess, superhuman tennis players are sometimes because, you know, if you think about footballers, they, they moan sometimes when they've got, you know, like two matches in four days or something. And, and that's a team game. You know, they and even having a day off in between seems like a luxury. And these tennis players are expected to play sometimes you know, two matches per day. So I think it like really does go to show how, I don't know, supremely fit tennis players are and how physically demanding the sport is I think compared to other top level sports that are you know incredibly famous and highly kind of 
global and, and money making. I think tennis players are, you know, the supreme athletes. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had the ATP uh, Masters in Paris. Djokovic has won them uh, despite all the scheduling issues. We now have the final eight set for Turin. Uh, we have obviously Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, Rublev, Sinner, Tsitsipas, Zverev and Runa. Um, where are your thoughts at, you know, with, with this final eight that we've got? How does it compare to last year, do you think? And, and I guess who is Djokovic, you know, the standout? Do you think there's anyone that could... Uh, contend realistically for this title, Chris? I mean, you don't bet against Novak Djokovic um, in this sort of form. I think there are some players that could potentially challenge him. I think um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be someone like Sinner, I think, that might push him. I really don't think that it's going to be... Um, like a, a Medvedev based on some of the previous form that we've seen at the end of season championships. Um, Chris, you say that. I mean, Djokovic has only had one hard court defeat this year and that was to Daniel Medvedev. I mean, it's it's not indoor hard, I assume, that match. I can't remember where that was played, but um, I just think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to come from an inspired performance if it does. But for me, I think I wouldn't bet against Djokovic and I think... There was a little bit of making up the numbers when it comes to comes to this, and I think. <laughs> and hey, they're really... you've just used my phrase. Sorry, Joel, you can say it now. Do you think there's making up the numbers? There's a little bit of making up the numbers. I think yeah. on, the, on the in the final eight. I, mean, I think Zverev. Where yeah. did that come from? As a result, I, and I, then you know, I, I honestly sort of see if we look at the whole season, I actually think there's a little bit of a, a divide here, and I've got. I think you've got your four of Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev and Sinner who have been fantastic um, this season. And then I think you've got kind of the best of the rest. Arguably maybe Sinner, Sissipas, sorry, is, is in the middle. But yeah, I'd maybe, I think maybe there's a little bit of a gap between those four and the rest. There is a whole group missing from last year I thought I'd raise that's quite interesting. The green group seems to be a little bit cursed because um, that was Nadal, Kasper Ruud, Felix Oja-Aliassime and Taylor Fritz, none of which made it this year. So mm. there is a bit of a, a changing of the guard in terms of um, the players that are playing. I think it's quite rare that we see four different players um, playing in this event from one year to the next. So maybe it will make for a bit more entertaining. Do you think? Do you sense. think it's a stronger? Do you think it's a stronger eight compared to last year? From a names perspective, I think everyone is very much aware of them. I think Taylor Fritz was a bit newer to the party, so was Felix. Um, so I'd say that there are a couple of people who have made it previously, like Zverev, who's obviously won it previously. Um, so I think it's probably is a stronger, a stronger lineup from a, a, a ticket sales perspective. Um, but I kind of feel like it's, it's, it's still as a full players, as you say, Joel, I do think. What about you, Kim? Come on. Make well, a there's no Rafa. Prediction. No Rafa. No <laughs> Rafa. So not enough Spaniards for my liking. Um, Only the one. Only the one Spaniard, but yeah, Alcaraz was not there last year. He was injured, but he, you know, he he had qualified, but could not play of due to injury. I think, I think, I agree with that kind of. I think that the winner is going to come from that that four that Joel sort of specified. But I think ultimately, you, you know, you can't really look beyond Djokovic, um, possibly Medvedev, Alcaraz, Sinner. But I'd be very much surprised if you know we suddenly saw Zverev go on a run. But stranger things have happened, so we will see. I think. I think, though, like if I was comparing it to the WTA final eight, I would say that that final eight was stronger, more competitive. But then look what we've just seen, Sviontek dominating. So this may very well spring a surprise. I, I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that we're going to take a very quick break now. Uh, but do join us, everyone, in the second half where we will be discovering discovering and discussing further developments in the Sasha Zverev domestic abuse allegations. Uh, we'll be looking at Wimbledon's expansion, which is moving a step closer in their plans. And we'll also be looking at all the action to come this week on the tour, including the Billie Jean King Cup finals in Seville. So do not go anywhere. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with UTS. And Tennis Weekly is proud to be the official podcast of the UTS Grand Final in London. 
UTS is the world's newest, most exciting, innovative tennis league, playing an entirely reinvented game format that does away with traditional tennis rules. And the UTS Grand Final is coming to London's Excel Arena from the 15th to the 17th of December. The Grand Final features the players who have won the UTS events from around the globe, guaranteeing the best of the best will be competing for the title in London. Already confirmed are top players such as Andre Rublev, Gael the Monf Monfils, Casper the Iceman Rude, with more players to be announced, including a local wildcard. So if you are looking for the ultimate day out in London in the run up to Christmas, then secure your tickets to the UTS Grand Final now. Session passes start from £31 and day passes from just £51 for a guaranteed six matches. Go to www.uts.live for more information or use the link in the description to purchase your tickets now. We look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, brought to you by the UTS Grand Final. And now we're going to move on to a bit of par for the courts, I think, which, Joel, you have uh, designated for me and Chris this mm. week. Um, Chris, if you want to use your cardboard cutout right now, <laughs> that would be appreciated. <laughs> Give me I'll a just, chance. I'll just put a bit of merch in the shot instead. Just a Yes, cap, that's what I like to hear. A, yeah, exactly. Um, I do have a par for the courts for you, uh, both and our listeners i'm actually a little bit nervous because i think this could possibly a long well, one is it Joel's no it's game? not a long one sorry the i thought it could yet. i thought it could end in a draw but i've just done my maths and there's an odd number you don't so. have a great you don't have a great history of getting the numbers right <laughs> no for this i know i know that's why i wanted i just wanted to make Double sure check, i've got this check. right right there are one two three four five six seven eight there are nine answers to the topic i am about to give you well, let's get them all, Kim. Okay. Are you ready? What is it? <laughs> right. There are nine male tennis players who have hit over 1,000 aces in an ATP Tour season since 1991. Ooh, wow. Okay. Who are right. those nine individuals is my question. And the reason okay. I'm asking you this is because... I'll give you it's a little bit of a clue. It's the year of, of my birth. I'll give oh, you a little bit of a clue. Oh, I think I've got... Maybe I've got oh, that okay, one. Oh, okay. I'm not going to give you the clue. I'll tell you at the end. But that is the that is the topic. Nine players I am looking for. Who would like to kick us off first? I'm happy to. Go, yep. go okay. for it. Right. It could be big because so, there are nine answers. Odd number. Yes. 1,000 aces in a season since 1991. Nine players. ATP. Let's go. Number one, Pete Sampras. Correct. Yes. Pete Sampras, 1993. I'm surprised that was the first answer. I do believe the reason that you're asking this question is because her catch hit a thousand aces this season. So that would be my first answer. Correct. Yes, that was the reason I brought up this topic. Hubert Hakash I needed that answer, Joel. the latest person to join the list in uh, the 2023 season. Congratulations, Hubert. Um, number three, I think, would be John Isner. Correct. Yes, John Isner. And to no surprise to anyone, he has done it more often than anyone else. Uh, he's done it seven times. Seven seasons, seven wow. times. John Isner, correct answer. So that's three. I'm going to go for another very tall chap. I'm going to go for <laughs> Kevin Anderson. Kevin Anderson is a correct answer. Yes. 2015 and 2018. It's two apiece. This is a fun one, kid. This is two apiece <laughs> at the moment. Okay, number five. Um, I'm going to go for Andy Roddick. It's a correct answer. 2004. Only did it on one occasion, which surprises me. But yes, he is on the list. So that's a 3-2 lead for Kim. Chris, it's back to you. What are you going for? Oh, I'm going to go for... Um, a non-active player 
It was from 1991, right? Correct. I'll go for Ivan Isevich. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Goran Ivanisevich. Is a correct answer. Yes. He has done it on four occasions. 94, 96, 97 and 98. How many have we got so far? So that's three apiece. So that's six in total. There are three answers left. Go on, Okay. I've got a couple of names I'm thinking about. And I'm just trying to think who would have like won, you know, not just hit aces, but also won a lot of matches in a season. And And played a lot. Played a lot. Exactly. So... Marin Cilic. It's an incorrect answer. Oh no! Can I give my other answer? That was my next answer. It was actually. We've got to remember it's it's still three all. So Chris still needs to give me. I'm not going to say that one. Still needs to give me a correct answer. Marin Cilic is not on the list though. I actually don't remember if we said Ivo Karlovic or not. I have no memory. He was my other one. I was oh, going to okay. say. Well, then yeah, I'll I was say debating. him then. <laughs> yeah, because I don't. Th- I thought we might have said him because he seemed quite obvious. Ivo Karlovic, Chris. This is this is to take it. Kim thought about it. Went with Marin Cilic. I you think Cilic was a good guess. Ivo Karlovic. Oh, thanks. <laughs> And it's a correct answer, oh, Chris. Victory is mine. Chris well done. wins. Yes, Ivo Karlovic did it on four occasions. 07, 14, 15 and 2016. Goodness. Can I... Uh, we still got two more though, like yeah, on the list, right? Yeah, can we get them, Kim? Is it um, Milos Raonic? Is he there? He was in my back pocket. That would have been a correct answer, Kim. Oh. Yes. Oh, uh, he did it on dear. two occasions. And there is one more player on the list probably Marit the trickiest Safin? one not Marit Safin it's Kyrgios? hard to know isn't no. it Nick Kyrgios Agassi? not right no mm. not Agassi you know what Federer what a- Federer. Federer no uh, Chris I was, gonna, I was gonna say I don't know if this is right but I just thought what if it was Novak Djokovic and maybe he was a server as well oh yeah <laughs> uh, Novak Djokovic it's actually it's not Novak Djokovic uh, it is it? it happened in 2019 it is Riley Opelka. Oh, interesting. Riley I would have said him. The Wolves. only record he has. <laughs> I know. Um, so yeah, Riley Opelka um, was uh, second last to Hubert Hercage. So listeners, Kim, Chris, your full list was Pete Sampras, Goran Ivanisevic, Andy Roddick, Ivo Karlovic, John Isner, Milos Raonic, Kevin Anderson, Riley Opelka, and Hubert Hercage. Kim, you didn't say Feliciano Lopez. I thought <laughs> I was sure you would. You know, just just if at Queens, he might grass, hit a thousand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh well, that was fantastic, Joel. Thanks so much. I have learnt to uh, perhaps trust my other instincts uh, next time <laughs> round. <laughs> but well done, Chris. And listeners, let us know how you got on. Uh, we're going to dip into the mailbag for this week now. And uh, Leonie has got in touch with us via email. So thank you very much. Uh, they've said hello, Tennis Weekly. Which player that did not finish and play in the ATP and WTA final eight this season do you expect to see in the end of season finals at the end of next season? So we're casting our crystal balls and looking ahead uh, to who, which player do you think will be there at this stage next year? Um, Joel, who are your picks for both the WTA and the ATP? Well, I mean, there's only one clear answer for me on the WTA tour. Emma Raducanu. Simona Halep, obviously. Oh, no, God. It's, it's not Simona Halep. Um, I'm going to say Naomi Osaka, actually. Um, Ooh, okay. I think she's going to come back with a bang next year. So I'm going Naomi Osaka. And then on the ATP side, I'm going Ben Shelton. I think he's ready. That's, that's a I good I think guess. he's going to make a, a mm. big big crack at the, uh, the top eight next season. So, yeah, I'm going Osaka and Shelton. Nice. Yeah, I can see both of those. Solid guesses. Chris? Well, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious if you ask me. Um, it's Emma Raducanu? Going to be Manorino, I was going to say. You know. <laughs> Manorino. <laughs> Without, the man is only going up in the rankings. Um, no, on a serious note, I have also gone from the French contingent. I do think that Arthur Fies is going to be in with a good season. Mm. I really rate him. Um, Top I eight, think- though. 
I just I think he's gonna have an Alcaraz esque season. I think mm. he's got the weapons. He hasn't got the head for it just yet, but um hugely impressed with his physicality. And I'm gonna go for Svitolina because she's gonna play a full season. She's been pushing at the the big events and she took a title home. Um I was tempted by Wozniacki, but I also don't think that will happen. I think it's gonna be really tough. Mugarisa? There's signs she's picked up a racket, but <laughs> not enough um, for you. I don't know. Kim, what do you reckon? Well, yeah, she does seem to be quite active at fashion events at the moment on social media, uh, Muguruza. I'd love to see her back and Rafa as well. You know, Ooh. he's obviously going to be retiring next year. You so wanted more Spaniards. Maybe he will, you know, be able to get to the final eight. However, I think that's very ambitious. Uh, so all, all Spaniards aside, I would say maybe... And like, these are the two players I like to predict. Seb Corder or Hubert Hercash? Of course, Seb Corder, of course. <laughs> you love him. Um, Seb Corder going to be fit at, at that end of the season, well, is he? If he can get his fitness up and injury free. <laughs> and then I've gone for the WTA, maybe Chin Wenzheng, because yeah. I think, you yeah, know, she's, she's pushing, yeah. she's pressing. So I think that's viable. Um, but I mean, really, it's, we know who's, going to be there Djokovic Alcaraz you know um, it's it's more a case of yeah who's going to be in that kind of 7th 8th place I think Chris, that's really ever, exciting ever since, ever since you said Adrian Manorino I just keep thinking he would be a shoo-in if there was a Zhuhai elite trophy um, oh, on the, on the men's side I think Manorino would would he would take that, I think. I think that would be dominated by <laughs> the French players. You may as, it's yeah. like almost the, the national competition it would be because I mean, there's been some great results on, on the tour from that. And maybe we could get Dimitrov there just so that he can end the season happy if there was a Zuhai for them at the end of season elite trophy. I would love to see instead of Battle of the Brits, a Battle of the French so that the Ooh. French number one Ooh. ranking can be fought out. Let's get in, in one touch with the French Tennis Federation, Kim. Yeah. I know they're always short of a bit of money. So uh, pitch that event to them. Well, I just think we should have, well, it should be hosted. Maybe some, a neutral location. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, be lovely. On the clay courts of Croydon. Oh, yes. Yeah, Le Croydon. Um, <laughs> Le anyway, Croydon. Oui, oui. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the news this week because we've had um, some. Yeah, on a more serious note, some sort of um, updates in the kind of domestic abuse allegations against. Uh, Sasha Zverev. Uh, essentially, he has been um, fined 450,000 euros and issued with a penalty order by a German court. And this is all relates to allegations by an ex-girlfriend of his um, of, of abuse. And um, yeah, there was a trial in, in Berlin and he's been issued with this penalty order, which he has said that he um, has is, is going to protest against it. He's not happy with the outcome. Um, he has the right to contest it and yeah it's likely to lead to a more public kind of trial but um obviously very unsavory allegations we we've talked about these quite a while ago when they first were raised on the on the podcast um and it's been a bit kind of in the background but see updates coming out this week chris what what do you make of of this news um obviously Zverev has told the world and the media that he intends to fight this penalty order but what, what do you make of of the latest in this case i think for many, they will welcome this news because I think there's been a lot of um, talk of this. This is not the first allegation that's been made against Verev. As you talked about, there was allegations made by another ex-girlfriend, Olya Sharapova, who also um, had allegations that were very similar to the allegations that were made um, around this penalty order. And so I think that's something to make people aware of, that that is also something um, that has been investigated by the ATP and insufficient evidence was found, which does not mean it did not happen. It just means that there was not the evidence for them to take um, something or an allegation or something action against it. In this case, um, I do think that what is interesting is that a penalty order for those who kind of don't know um, in Germany, it's issued when a judge after examining the written evidence believes a ruling can be made without going to trial. Um, and the defendant has the right to contest the penalty order, which will likely lead to a public trial. And if you don't contest it, then you pay the penalty order and then it will go down as saying that you have actually um, committed the crime that is being spoken about here and the accusation. So um, it, it doesn't necessarily look very positive in the sense if you are a Zverev supporter, 
because judges wouldn't make the decision if there wasn't um, what they believe to be enough evidence for it not to go to court. So I think it's very good that it's being taken seriously. I do think that once again, we are seeing similar comments from um, lawyers in a similar way that we saw for the Halep case, but they said that they had an expert who has said that this is um, kind of completely impossible. I think he said incomprehensible and contradictory um, by a medical report from a Berlin doctor. And I think it does scream of making a lot of noise and denying things, but there hasn't been um, a lot that has actually addressed this. Um, and it is uh, allegations that do follow him. So I think it'll be very interesting to see what happens. And I also think it's very interesting to see what action is taken and how he will be received differently on the tour because um, it does seem like there is more than um, more than just allegations here. I think it does seem like there is um, enough for, obviously, a penalty ruling in this case. So um, we hope the tour takes it seriously. And again, in the German system, you are innocent until you have been to trial now. So that's something mm. that we should also make our listeners aware of, that he has not been convicted of this. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, if it got to the stage of maybe imprisonment, you know, after a public trial. I mean, I don't I don't know. You know, would he be sent to... I mean, if it got that to that extent. And also, we also haven't seen anything from the ATP, you know, which I think has been a real big issue throughout this is that the fact that they've remained silent on this issue and it's kind of gone under the covers and it's all been a bit awkward, hasn't it? Um, so again, they're, they're remaining in that sort of state of mind, I think. I mean, how do you feel about, because Zverev is going to be in, in Turin in the ATP final eight. And we've you know had this come through from his point of view, he, it sounds like you do not want this to go to a public trial because then it could get you know very, very potentially very, very ugly for you. Do you know how comfortable do you feel like fans are going to be with with Zverev being in the showpiece event, the final eight, the tour finals in Turin, with these new, fresh involvements and evolutions from you know the news story that broke over a year ago now? I think he's a very powerful man who has done a very good job of kind of silencing some of these allegations that have been made or being able to put out news articles and stories that do make it kind of um, fall to to the waistline when it comes to the narrative that he's able to push in terms of his comeback, a great season that he's had. Um, And from being in Hamburg um, and being well aware of all the allegations that have been made um, have been launched at that point because the the case was actually uh, filed the week before when I was in Boston and then seeing him win in Hamburg and the raptor's applause, um, the people that I was with couldn't believe this because they weren't aware of it and I explained it to them. So I do think that there is a lack of awareness about this at the moment and I do think that a lot of people think that there's something to be gained here by the ex-girlfriends coming forward. And I would say that it's almost the opposite of that because they she does have a child with him and he's not in the child's life. This is actively making her life a lot more difficult and I think if it does go to court... Um, it will it will be ugly. A lot of the things that will be revealed that currently have not been revealed will be aired in court. Um, and that will not be a good look for, for anyone. And if I was his advisor or agent, I'd say, I'd say that you, you probably, sh- you could pay this and say that you didn't want to contest this because of the fact that you have got a child with her. You, you know, you could, there are other ways you could go about this, but clearly he's taking it head on. So either he will be found innocent or this will be um, a very big, a very big story. We'll have to wait for further updates in this case um, and, you know, see see what happens and how he is received uh, in light of this, you know, when it comes to Turin. Um, in other news uh, recently, we did um, have Wimbledon announcing their very ambitious expansion plans, um, which is going to involve dra- dramatically expanding the, the size of the site and the capacity of the site that they currently have. Um, they're almost going to triple their grounds in size. Um, essentially, a couple of years ago, they bought out the lease of the Wimbledon Park Golf Club, which is kind of over the road. Um they are planning to build another 8,000 seater show court and 38 more grass courts, which have all been approved by uh, one of the local councils. They've still got Wandsworth Council to to approve it. So they're still going through the motions. But um, yeah, a lot of kind of plans and activity in the works. They said they're planning to do this by 2030, which is going to significantly increase kind of what the championships can offer, I guess, you know, to fans, to players, you know, to the local community as well. Obviously, some people not happy. Climate kind of activists are not happy. They're going to be uh, 
felling 2000 trees uh i think in order to build this this site um but obviously you're not going to please everyone and uh, i think there was a bit of controversy when this uh was announced because there someone in the in the public gallery uh when it was kind of voted through did uh have some kind of well, local disturbance. They were shouting about uh, it being a was climate you, crime Chris? scene. Were you heckling, were you heckling was from that the crowd? you? Yeah. Yeah, I was because it's going to affect me a lot here in Copenhagen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is this going to increase the number of jigsaw puzzles that might be thrown on the grass courts next year from climate activists? Well, I mean, it's. I mean, it's. It's. I think it's exciting. You know, the idea of of bringing loads more courts you know to the grounds the fact that they can bring qualifying closer to the the championships away from you know an external site in in, in Roehampton but I do think you know this is you know this is just one this is just one step um this is not going to be happening overnight I think that you know the early chatter is you know possibly early 2030s to give you an idea of how much I think red tape has to be gone through but I think it shows you know they are making progress and that is I think better than you know the state they were in towards the start of the season where I felt like they'd bought this land and it almost kind of underestimated I think the amount of opposition and difficulty it was to get things through almost felt like they were a little bit kind of stuck in the mud so I think it's great from their perspective that they are slowly you know making headway in the right direction but I think there's still plenty of plenty of things to to be done before Mm. everything comes to fruition. What about the queue Kim? Will it be a bit more roomy? A bit more comfortable? Or is it going to be more windy around all this, all these courts? Goodness. I don't know. I, yeah, I hadn't actually thought of that. I, I mean, the queue is in Wimbledon Park, not the golf course, unless they want to maybe move the queue into the this new complex. I, I don't know. Um, I hope it's not changed, but I don't know what their long-term plans are for the queue. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be an exciting time of transition for the championships. And some, you know, it's not going to please everyone, is it? So we'll have to just await their kind of further plans and see if it gets through the other you know um agreements and approval process first but it's yeah exciting times on the cards and it is you know compared to the size of like australian open us open the site is small and they want to be like a world leading tournament still and you know got to keep up with what other grand slams are offering get a so bit crowded. i think it's positive can get a bit crowded in there that's for sure and i think having more room but also i think it the Australian Open is also kind of really gearing up for the week before the slams being really an event in themselves. And I feel like maybe we'll see that more. The US Open was starting to embrace that this year. Maybe Paris will embrace this in it. And they have actually with people going to watch, you know, the players practicing. So it feels like more and more people will be coming to watch the tennis. And that's does that mean we might actually get a kid's day at the All England Lawn Tennis Club? I mean, maybe on court... <laughs> 49 or whatever they have now they might put it on there yeah well watch this space uh and let's i mean let's have a look at what's happening slightly sooner than 2030 because we've got the billy jean king cup finals happening uh this week that will they get underway today uh out in seville so we have got uh various teams in action including australia slovenia france italy kazakhstan germany um usa poland spain think that's everyone switzerland we've got to give a massive shout out i think to storm hunter who schlepped it all the way from uh cancun uh, to play for australia today um i think slovenia won 2-1 um but storm hunter won uh the doubles you know, helped win the the doubles um the doubles rubber that is uh yeah that's that's impressive krachika for year as well i believe one, they are storm there hunter. Yeah, mm, and 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 yeah. they have the Krachikova and Sinyakova as well. They have replaced their their cardboard cutouts now and are also um, at the event. So uh, big props to all those players who 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 hopped on a flight. I don't know how they did it, but they did it, and uh, they're they're probably quite jet lagged, but uh, putting their body on the line for their country. I wonder what they do with the cardboard cutouts now that the the Czech duo have arrived. Be interested to know uh, but yeah okay who do you both think is going to win the Billie Jean King Cup Joel got to be Czech Republic Chris oh this is a tricky one I would have always gone for Switzerland maybe I'll go for a very inspired France 
Oh, okay. Um, I don't really believe that though, Kim, actually. I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, to be honest, it's anybody's. <laughs> this is wide open because a lot of the top players aren't going to be there. So I would love to see maybe Slovenia who got the win today. Come on. That take it home. That would be quite out there, wouldn't it? <laughs> the Finland of go, the championships. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go on a punt and say Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So let's I thought you were going to say space. Kazakhstan there for a second. <laughs> well, we will see. Uh, we've also got the Marcel Open in Metz, which is an ATP 250 in France. And we have Bublik, uh, Alex de Menor, both there, Hatchinov, Stan the Man, Umber. So that is taking place uh, as we speak as well. And we also have the Sofia Open, uh, another ATP 250, where Adrian Manorino is the second seed. Very He's a exciting. He's shoo-in for the title. Mm. Absolute shoo-in for the title. A couple of Brits also in, uh, in, in Sofia. You've got Jack Draper, who's just come off the back of winning a challenger title against David Goffin uh, in the final mm. season. in good form. Draper um, Massetti could be good yeah, in the second round there. That could be very, very tasty. Um, and Billy Harris, who came through qualifying um he got his first ever atp main draw victory against hustler um of switzerland in three sets today so um decent yeah very 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 good maybe maybe billy harris is making his late claim for the uh, the davis cup finals uh, <laughs> squad for gb he could be a hitter who knows you know they are dropping like flies the gb yeah. squad replace so evans they, uh, with all, billy yeah. harris who knows and Joel, you have got something up coming mm. this weekend as well, haven't you? In London. Yeah, I mean, I know the I know the Billie Jean King Cup finals are going on in Seville, but uh, the qualifiers are also going on, and I will be at the Copper Box for GB versus Sweden. Um, so, if any of our listeners are there, I will be about. I'm probably going to be wearing my tennis weekly white hat, which you might be able to spot me with. But Say yeah, I'm hello very... to him. He he needs the attention. Yes, fans. I'm he, very he, excited. He I'm very excited i mean i'm hoping for a gb victory we've got a on paper we have a stronger team um so i'm expecting us to knock on wood but we should get the job done quite easily i'm not i'm not expecting this to go down to a final rubber i really think we should be putting out the victory in the singles and not letting it go to the doubles well miriam bjorkman begs to differ well, yes, it'll be very exciting. Uh, have some cinnamon rolls at the ready, you know, um, all the Swedish food. I mean, I don't know, Chris, Chris, you can tell us about Swedish food. You must have it quite a lot. Yes, I know you're in Copenhagen, it's more but it's very close. than it is cinnamon, I would say, when it oh, comes okay. to the bun side of things. They also like a chocolate mud cake. So that could be something you might enjoy mm. there. Um, okay. Well, maybe I'll go over to that? all the Swedish fans and uh, ask them for some great cuisine, snacks maybe. and great sweets especially on Saturdays the day they all eat sweets the only day of the week mm. and oh. also and also excitingly uh, we've got an interview with Patrick Muratoglu from UTS uh, the curator of UTS this week so we've got that to look forward to I don't know how that's going to come out um, for our listeners at the moment but uh, yeah rest assured we've got a very exciting uh, slot with him we've got a few questions lined up for him so uh, we're also yeah looking forward to that aren't we we are and we'll be back next week to round up all of the Billie Jean King Cup final action Joel's trip to the Copper Box uh, and the 250s as well where we hope to celebrate Manorino winning another title well exactly exactly that listeners I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action still to come from the ATP and WTA tours we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then do make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and X. And the handle for that is Tennis Weekly Pod. You can purchase Tennis Weekly merch at etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. You can also email the show tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk and we will be back next week at Tennis Weekly HQ for our next tour catch up brought to you by the UTS Grand Final so I hope you can join us for that but in the meantime it's goodbye from Kim goodbye it's goodbye from Chris goodbye and it's goodbye from me we'll see you again soon